If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 once again. We're going to be going back to the 24th through the 27th verses. If you do not have a Bible and you would like to follow along, simply raise your hands and we'll make sure that we get one to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, or 24 to 27. And uh, run, David, run. Yeah, David is a marathoner, and uh, so uh, he's not used to doing sprints. He doesn't move quite as quickly through the sanctuary. Did we have another one? That, anybody else need one? Okay, we are very good, and uh, so we're going back here. We've been talking about, this is the third week, and we're going to finish this series this morning on uh, how to kind of set direction for our lives, how to be purposeful. It was interesting, as Darlene and I were getting ready this morning, we had the television on, and David Jeremiah was speaking, and uh, he's talked about the importance of purpose. If we don't have purpose, we really are not moving any direct, any real direction. We need to know where we're going and what we're accomplishing and how important that is. So we're going to finish that series this morning. And then next week, I'll be gone for a week. Uh, Corwin's going to be sharing with you. And then uh, we're going to go up to Oregon for... <laughs> it's going to be a real quick trip. We're hopping in Friday, and we're going to be back on Monday. So it'll be a quick trip up there just to see family and uh, then back, and I'm going to start a series on the parables, uh, stories that Jesus told, and, and they all had a purpose. There was a reason behind each of them. So uh, we want to look at about 12 of those parables for the next uh, 12 weeks after that and get an idea of some of the teachings of Jesus. I, I really like going through the parables because it gives direction for life, uh, but it also tells us kind of the thought pattern of who our Lord was, what he thought about, what was important, and gives us teaching for how to live. And so uh, I think it's uh, important to see how Jesus taught and what he had specifically for us. So I hope you will make it a, a priority to be here for that. But this morning, I just want to go back and talk about uh, our purpose, our motivation. I, I look at Paul. We were talking about Paul and how directed he was, how he knew exactly what he was going to accomplish. He wanted to glorify God. He wanted to honor God with his life, walk as God would have him to walk. And then possibly his great motivational verse would have been here in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. And we looked at it a couple of weeks ago and last week again. It says, to the weak I became weak, not physically, but he's talking about spiritual abilities, things they could or couldn't do and still felt comfortable before God. He said, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. And then he made this statement because this was such a high priority in his life. He says, I have become all things to all men so that I might or I may by all means save some. Not everyone comes to know the Lord. I wish they did. I wish they all had that relationship that... Uh, they could know that God loved them and cares for them and cares about their eternal destiny, but not just their eternal destiny, their day-to-day -day existence and the things they go through and that he is there for them. But he says, I, I do these things that I might win some. I become all things to all men. It, it, it dictated how he lived. And, and so I would say to be successful in our spiritual walks, successful in our relationship, with God and with one another, we need to know our purpose. What is it that God wants us to accomplish? What is it that God wants us to do? And as we come to the beginning of a new year, that's kind of the key. That's what I want us to continue to uh, think about. And the issue is, how important is it to you? 
Boy, you can, you can write down a purpose, but if it isn't important to you, you're probably not going to follow through with it. And I'm not just talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm talking about a revolution in your life where you make changes that you don't want to change just for a short time, but for a lifetime. How do we become those individuals that God wants us to be? I'm going to ask you to just stop for a moment as, as we're beginning this message and think about what is it that you want to see happen in your life in the next 12 months? What, what is important for you? What is your desire? Uh, let me take a, uh, a physical issue. This is, they say that health and exercise and weight are the two biggest or the, the biggest areas that people uh, ask New Year's resolutions for, and this is not a resolution, but it gives us an example. Let's say that you, uh, you look at your life and say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose... 20 pounds in the next year, or I'm going to lose 30 or 50 pounds, or whatever it is. And you say, I'm going to do this. This is I'm set to do this. And, and you even write it down, and you have a plan laid out, and boy, how many of you have ever done that, and, and it didn't last very long? Yeah. I, I do that, and uh, you know the reason? Because my purpose and pleasure in eating is more important to me than losing that weight. The purpose isn't that important. I, I can write it down. I can know it needs to be done. But, wow, we go out to eat, and I look at that menu, and I, oh, that's, I'll start again tomorrow. And that's kind of how we are with things. We, we don't see them as important. Now, if your doctor tells you if you don't lose 50 pounds in the next year, you probably won't be here, all of a sudden the purpose becomes more important. And you begin to look for ways that you're going to lose weight and you plan it out and you determine what you're going to do and what you need to do. And, and so to be victorious and to be successful as Christians in our lives, I think we need to know our purpose and we need to know that it's important. We need to know that we really want to complete it and nothing else is going to get in the way. Um, I think sometimes we... we see things we want to change, but we have become so adapted to certain lifestyles and certain ways of living that uh, we just kind of go on with the pattern. We wish things would change, but, but they never quite get there. Let me, let me tell you a little story. kind of illustrates this. A little boy was going to go on a vacation with his grandmother. They were going up in the Sierras. There was a beautiful little lake that they were going to go to, and uh, they were going to stay in a cabin, and down at the bottom of the cabin uh, was the lake, and there was a dock that went out to the water. And the little boy was so excited to go with his grandma. He would go this regularly, and uh, he was going to leave his dad at home. And so as they were getting ready to leave, his father said, take your goldfish. I'm not going to take care of your goldfish for you. You have to take your goldfish with you. And the little boy said, okay. And so they packed it snugly away in the car so that it wouldn't spill out and water wouldn't be all over. And, and they drove up to that lake, and they were there, and the little boy was having such a great uh, time. And all of a sudden, the next day, it was the second day they were there, he kind of got a humanitarian motivation. Can I could have put it that way. Uh, he decided he wanted to become the great liberator. And so uh, he was going to do that, that goldfish a big favor. He saw that lake out there, and it was so much bigger than the, than the bowl. And he thought, I'll take it out there, and, and I'll release it. And so the story goes, he took it to the end of the dock, and it was sunny, it was beautiful. 
and he poured that goldfish in the bowl, the water there down into the water. And the goldfish went into the lake, and he thought, this is going to be so great. He has a big lake. He can swim around. He'll grow. He's got more food than he could ever think that he would need. And the little goldfish just swam around right there. He didn't go any further. He just right there. He was swimming around. The little boy said, swim, go, you're free. The goldfish didn't go. And the little boy thought, well, maybe it's my shadow. He sees me and he, he thinks he's got to stay close. So the little boy stepped back, couldn't see the shadow. And he would look over and the goldfish right there. He threw some rocks in the water close. Didn't throw them at the goldfish, but close enough to frighten it. He still, there was the goldfish going round and round and round. And he couldn't figure out why he didn't swim, why he didn't go away. Why did he just stay there? He went up to lunch. His grandma called him in, and he went up, and he had lunch. He came back. Goldfish will be gone. He got back, and there was that goldfish still swimming in circles right there in the same area, just kind of going around, not very far, just right there. And he thought, man, why aren't you swimming? Why don't you have freedom? You're, you're out. You're free. There are no boundaries. And all of a sudden, there's this huge swirl right under the water, and the goldfish disappeared. And a big bass had come up and eaten that goldfish. You see, instead of going out and finding all the food, he became fish food himself. The boy was told years later that one of the primary reasons is that, and I, uh, I tell you this, that I have not checked it out. I do not know if it's true, but it's great for the illustration. Years later, he learned that goldfish are patterned. They're conditioned if they are raised in that little bowl and they grow to that size to just stay in about that same area. He would swim around and around and around until he died. You want to know something? As humans, sometimes we're that way too. There are things that need to change in our lives. We have freedoms that God has given us. We have liberty that God has given us. But we stay confined by what we know. And we don't move out beyond it. We don't become more than what we could be because we become like that. And so we need to see the change come. We need to have purpose for why there would be change and we would find our lives more fulfilling and complete and accomplish the things that we really want to do. People can get in that proverbial rut. Maybe they started out in a certain way in high school or whatever, and they were successful and that they, they were at the top of the food chain, so to speak. But it never changed because they just kind of stayed where they were. And they're 40 and 50 and they look and everybody's kind of passed them up because they're still living on past glories. And they've never gotten out of that little circle. They need to move beyond that. You know, I, I look at uh, businesses, and if a business does not change in this culture and society, they die. We've seen stores that are closing their doors, chains that are closing their doors because they do not change. They haven't followed what Amazon's doing or whoever. They aren't going online, and, and it's, it's kind of the end. You know, even Taco Bell delivers now. I, I go by there and I look there and I, I don't know, Grubhub or one of them, you call in and they'll take your taco to you. And I thought, yeah, you've got to be willing to change. You've got to be willing to keep up with culture and society or you'll be left behind. Churches are in the same way. Um, I'll tell you what, the message never changes. God's word never changes. You stay 
with this. But the way you minister within the culture will change. And if the church isn't willing to do it, then it finds that it doesn't move ahead and reach people in that culture. That's a key. I, I read a statistic a number of years ago that said about 87% of churches don't grow. I mean, they have people come and go, but they really don't grow. 10% grow because of transfer growth. A lot of your churches, you go to the larger churches and you begin to find out where people came from. Well, they came from the other church over here. That's just moving people around in the kingdom of God. About 3%, the statistics said, really grow because they're reaching people for Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? He said he came to seek and to save the lost. And we need to have that same priority and we need to be looking at how we can do that. But I'm not looking to talk about churches so much today. I want to talk more about us as individuals, our personal lives. And for Paul, he understood the purpose of his life. His life was to be lived to glorify God. And his focus was to spread the word of God. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians right now to verse or chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. Let me read it to you again. Uh, we've looked at this over the last three weeks, and it says, Do you not know, or don't you understand, haven't you got it, that those who run in a race all run? Uh, for those of you who are in track or have run distances or whatever, you know that when you get in that race, you better run. You better be moving forward towards the goal. But only one, it says, receives the prize. That's in a physical race. That's not true of the Christian race. We can all see our lives changed. We can deal with those issues in our lives that we struggle with, uh, moral issues, uh, verbal issues, uh, emotional issues, spiritual issues, but we need to know the goal. It says, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. Oh, but we an imperishable. Therefore, Paul says, and he makes this statement, here he is, this purpose-driven guy, this guy that has that goal out there. He says, I run in such a way as... Not without aim. I know where I'm going. I see the end. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I, I know what I have to hit if I want to win this match. But I discipline my body. And I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. I will not lose out on the prize. Last week, we, we talked about how to get started in making those changes and transformations in our lives and some of the things that, that we can be. And, and we said, number one, you need to know your task. You need to know what you want to do. You need to know what you want to look like in a year. You need to know what you want to accomplish in that period of time. And I would tell you today that sometimes if you're looking at a year, it's too far. It seems overwhelming. Maybe you just want to say, what am I going to look like after today? Or how about hanging on to this issue for a week and then add a month and then it goes out to the year. But take those small steps. You don't have to go out and, and say, I've got to do this because at that time it, it, it seems so overwhelming. Uh, we talked about the importance of Christians. We were called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, it says in, in Romans chapter 8. I want to be like Jesus. That should be our desire. As we look at these parables in the next few weeks, starting a couple weeks, 
Jesus gives us a picture of, of how we can be like him. I need to be like Jesus. It, it makes a difference in who I am. Do you know what? You'll like me better if I'm like Jesus instead of like my old self and the attitudes that sometimes I have that are conflicting in a struggle. I, so I need to be like Jesus. I, I need to have a desire to glorify God in everything I do. You know, if I were to sit down and, and uh, at the end of the day go through the events that I have been involved in, can I say that I truly glorified Christ? That I glorified Christ in the way I treated or talked to my wife? In the way I responded to my granddaughter? Can I say that I glorified Christ in the way that I responded to one or two of you? Was it all about me? Was it about loving Jesus? Was it about loving you as my neighbor? There's those points of, of evaluation. Glorify God in everything. Whether you eat or drink, boy, there it is, very mundane things. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, it says. We go back to... Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It goes away from the eating and drinking to what you say and what you do, whether you, whatever you do in word or deed. Whatever you do and how you talk to people or how you react to people, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I, I need to look at my life and say, wow, is, is my life glorifying God? I think another thing I need to do if I'm going to do that is I need to get to know God better. And so I need to ask, how can I do that? If that's my task to get to know God, too many people come along and they say, well, this is how a Christian should live, or this is what I think, or, oh, God's not really concerned about that. But the issue is, what does the Bible say? It's not what we think and what we feel. A lot of people imprint Christianity with certain feelings and emotions and actions that oftentimes aren't biblical. What does the Bible teach us? How can I get to know God better? And so I would encourage you, as, as we're here this morning, maybe think about one spiritual goal that you want to see fulfilled in the next year, in 2019. You come to January of 2020 and you say, this is where I want to change in terms of my relationship with God or my relationship with the body of believers or individuals that will glorify God. Write it down. You know what? If we never do that, you'll be the same place that you were in 2017 when you hit 2020 because we just kind of go through life. And it doesn't change. What does God want to see? What does God want to accomplish in me? So you need to set that goal. You need to have that race, and you need to know where the race is going and what's going to be accomplished there. The second thing you need to do as we look at this passage is that you need to plan to accomplish the goal. You need to set a game plan. Um, Maybe you'll set a... A game plan, I want to grow closer to God. You know, if, if I want to grow closer to one of you, 
or I want to grow closer to my wife. We need to communicate regularly. I need to establish a time. Uh, I think every husband and every wife should establish some time during the week that you can sit down together and just say, how are we doing? And Darlene and I will do that, and then we'll slip away, and we won't do it for a long time because, oh, we're doing okay, until we ask again about four or five months later and go, whoa, we're not doing as good as we thought we were. The same thing's true with God. If you want to have that relationship with him, maybe the first thing you need to do is say, I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to set a time without any notes or without anything else. I like to pray with a notebook because it keeps me focused, but maybe just opening up your heart before the Lord. How are we doing this morning, Father? How did I do yesterday? Let's review. A time of prayer, I, I, I think it is so important. So you... Set those goals and, and whatever it may be. Maybe it's, it's uh, I'm going to pray and read the Bible every morning. I'm going to spend time doing the study that we have. Or maybe you you take another study. Maybe you're just going to read through a, a, a paragraph, just something, and you talk to God about what does it say and how does it apply. And you, know, and you say, I'm going to do that every morning. I'm going to get up every morning. Uh, I'm going to get up a half hour earlier. I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier just so I can spend some time with God. What is it that messes that thing up, getting up every morning? I don't know. Maybe you guys don't have any problem with that, but I have a problem with that. And I want to get up, and I want to spend time with God, and I've got this place where I go sit now, and I turn on the light so I can see well. and, And yet, boy, it's easy to not do that. What? What is it's the hang-up in the morning of, of doing that, getting up and doing that? You know what it is? Anybody know? Getting up. There it is, getting up. That's one of them. You know, I think it comes before that. For me, it comes before that. You know what it is? Going to bed. Yeah. Because when I go to bed every night at, I won't tell you what time, well, uh, I don't want to get up in the morning. And I set my alarm and... Lord, do I have to get up? You know where I am. (laughs) Yeah, I need to get up. I need to spend that time. And so you look at those things that keep you from fulfilling whatever it is you believe God wants you to fulfill, and you move them out of the way. I, I, I think that old acrostic that I have is so important. It's focus. You've got to focus on what God wants you to do. You set your plan. You focus And focus has to do with uh, faith. It means that, Lord, I I know that you want me to grow in this relationship. I I, I know that you want me to build a stronger relationship with my kids because dads are supposed to do that or with my wife or with other people in church. But I need you to give me the strength to do that. And, you know, the Bible says, if you abide me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And there's this faith that God's going to do in me what he promises. And I can bring it to him. Uh, faith, focus, obedience. You know, if we live outside of the will of God, we know what the Bible has to say. And we live outside of that will. Can we really expect that we're going to fulfill the goal and complete the goal that God has for us? Jesus made a statement. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they're good for you. 
They're beneficial when you do the things God asks you to do. When we get out of focus and we aren't doing the things he asks us to, that's when we get in trouble. And so there's focus, there's confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when I don't cleanse them, when I don't come and ask forgiveness, you know what? I can live with guilt. Uh, I find that I'm ineffective in life. And so I need to come and say, yeah, I slipped again, Father. And you know, he always says he'll forgive me. I don't know why I don't do that sometimes. Don't want to admit it. Fourth thing is to be unselfish. If we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, then it says you're also to love your neighbor as yourself. That means I can't be caught up with myself only. It's not all about how I feel or what I think or what's right for me or my desires, but it also goes to others. Unselfish. And then there's finally singleness of purpose. Know what you're aiming for. Know what you want to accomplish. There's that that great little acrostic focus. And, you know, I remember years ago I was saying, Lord, I just don't seem to focus. I'm coming into this Bible study and I just can't get it. What's focus all about? And that's kind of where it came from. I just took the word focus and began to put that acrostic together. And I said, yeah, that's, that's for me, Lord. You know, I, I found that uh, in our lives, something that, that tends to keep us from accomplishing what we want is that which seems urgent right now. Have you ever noticed that? You've got a goal out here, and all of a sudden things come up in your life, and you've got to do them right now. When I was uh, first in the ministry, I had a person bring me a little book, just about, about like that. It wasn't very big, a little thin book. It was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. He said, Andy, you need to read this. <laughs> you're in the ministry because you're always going to have things that seem urgent to people. And they're going to want you to come and do this and do that and be in this and be in that. And things are going to happen at home. And it all seems urgent, but it doesn't accomplish what God's called you to do. And so you've got to have a plan. You need to know where you're going, what you're going to accomplish. You run the race. Verse 24. Do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? This is it. Run in such a way that you may win. How many of you watched the uh, Clemson-Alabama game? Boy, a few of you, yeah. And you know what? Those coaches had a game plan. Clemson had a better one. Definitely. But they knew exactly what they were going to do. If you watch the Warriors, you're going to watch realize Steve Kerr has a game plan. He starts a group of guys at the beginning of the game, second, second quarter, he has a different group in. He almost platoons. Third quarter, he brings in his starters again. The other team's probably tired out. His starters take off, and at least last year, man, they ran away from teams. Not doing it as much this year. Got to talk to Steve about his game plan. And then by the final quarter, Curry and Durant, some of the others were sitting on the bench and because that was kind of where he was. You need a game plan for life. And I think that's so important. It's like building a house. Back in Proverbs chapter 24, it, it talks about being a home builder. And uh, 24th chapter in the 3rd and 4th verses it, it lays it out. 
24, 3 and 4, it says, By wisdom a house is built. By wisdom a goal is accomplished. It, it doesn't just happen. You've got to think through it. You've got to come up with a game plan. And by understanding, it is established. I, I think back to, to building homes and uh, when I was in the industry. And it didn't just do for me to say, hey, I think I'll build a home. You had to decide what kind of home you were going to build. Now they build these little mini homes, you know, about just little fellows, 1,000 square feet or so or less. And, and uh, they have the bed that falls out of the wall and a little tiny kitchen and kind of a bathroom area and, and that's it. Or you can have a home that's four, five, six, ten thousand 10,000 square feet. They're different. So what kind of home are you going to build? You have to plan that out. You, know, you need to know exactly what it is. Then you sit down and you draw the blueprints. What's going to go in it? How's it going to go? This is before you ever break ground. And then you better ask yourself this question, how am I going to pay for it? Can you get a loan to build that home? You may find that you can't build that 10,000 square foot home with the uh, money that you have. You've got to back off to 1,500 square feet. You need to restructure your plan. And so all of those things need to be taken care of. Then you go get permits. Is the city going to let you build there? And are they going to allow you to build the kind of home that you want to build there before you ever break ground? It's the same way in our lives. You need to have a plan for where you want to go, for what you're going to accomplish. If you're running a race, you need to know where that race is. But I'll tell you, I was around enough track guys that they all had a pattern for how they were going to run. They knew that if they were sprinters, they could catch the guys at the end, so they stayed with the pack, but they didn't take off and run out ahead. I had a, a friend in college that ran long distances, but he wasn't fast. He was a plotter, but I'll tell you what, he had endurance, and he would get out there, and by the time they were rounding the, the turn on, the last six, on, on a six-mile race, 10,000 meters, He'd be a half a, uh, a lap ahead of everybody else, and they couldn't catch him. And he won time after time, but he had a plan. And that's where we are in terms of our lives. I don't know what it is you want to do. The Bible gives us uh, some great priorities. Uh, number one is, is we need to get involved every day in prayer. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it makes a statement. It says, pray without Ceasing. That's it. Pray without ceasing. So important that we spend time with God. I can't stress that enough. Um, we just need to be in His presence. If you have worries and you have anxieties, you know what God says? He says, I want you to come with those and I want you to bring them to me. He's bring them in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in Philippians chapter 4. And he says, and you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you peace that you can't even begin to comprehend. And I think there are, I, I doubt there's a person here this morning that doesn't want the peace of God in their lives. So important, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I think the other thing is we need to study the word of God. We can't know God's will. And if you're going to say, what do I want to do this year? That's... That's one of them is you need to be praying. You need to be studying the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God. If all scripture is inspired by God, don't we want to read it? 
All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that those of us who are of God are equipped for every good work. In uh, 2 Timothy, again, the 5th chapter and the 17th verse, it says, study to show yourselves approved. If you're not studying, you're probably not going to show yourself approved. Study yourself, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately, cutting it straight. That's the idea of the word of truth. And so we study it, we get it in. I think fellowship's another important one. We talked about it this morning already. I mentioned it. It says, uh, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We don't grow very well without someone else coming along and stimulating our spiritual growth. We need to have people that we're spending time with and building relationships with and uh, growing in our relationship with. And then evangelism, reaching out. You know, it, it, it was interesting as Jesus was walking along the shore, he saw his disciples there. They weren't disciples yet, and uh, they were throwing a cast net. And cast nets aren't very big. They're, they're small. I remember being at the, on the shore at Waikiki, and I would watch one of the guys that was renting out the, uh, the surfboards, and he was out there in the surf throwing this cast net. Why there were fish there, I don't know. There were thousands of people. But here were these little fish, and he was catching them in his net and bringing it in. That's what the disciples were doing. And he says, follow me. I've got something better for you. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus had a purpose for them. The third thing you need to do, you need to know your plan, and and then you need to lay it out. You have, a, have that game plan and whatever you want to do, and I'm not going to tell you what you need to do this morning. That's something you need to decide on. And I'd say it's probably more than just going on a diet. But get involved. Work it. A lot of people have plans, but they never work it. Listen to verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. They've got the plan down. They exercise self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. They know what the the end result is, what the blessing is. But we, oh, we, an imperishable wreath. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. He gets involved in the race. And I would tell you today for the Christian, probably one of the primary words that you need to get a hold of is consistency. Being consistent in life. We're not consistent. We fall away. We struggle. We have problems. It's kind of like the story of the uh, tortoise and the hare. Do you remember that story when we were kids, that old fable? How the tortoise and hare came along, and the hare was kind of trash-talking everybody, and what a great runner he was, and how much faster he was than everybody else, and he and the tortoise got into a race. Yeah, this is going to be great. The gun went off, the hare took off, and he was looking around at all the girl hares and probably waving his hands and look at me, I'm great, hey, this is super. And uh, he'd run back and check where the tortoise was, and the tortoise was just, he knew where he was going, but he was just getting there, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hare decided, I got this made. I'm kind of tired. I've been running around doing so much. I think I'll lay down and take a nap. And you know the story of how the tortoise went by and won the race. Get in the race. Be steadfast. Get in the race. Hang in there. Don't quit. 
Be consistent. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Paul was writing to young Timothy, and he was telling him something that he needed to do as a, as a young pastor. And he said, Timothy, you need to preach the word. You need to preach the word, but he says you need to be ready in season and out of season. You rebuke, you, you reprove, reprove, you rebuke, or you exhort. Boy, got my tongue there. With great patience and instruction, but be ready. You know, in, in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary. You remain steadfast. Are you steadfast in the things that God calls you to do? Are you steadfast in your life in those things that you see that, that maybe need to change? I think of the illustration of, of Abraham and his, his son Isaac. God had, had given Isaac into his life. Abraham wanted a son so bad. He wanted a child. He needed an heir. Uh, he'd taken Lot with him from Haran, from Ur of the Chaldees, and he thought Lot would probably be his heir, but Lot took off and went a different direction. And, uh, you know, he, he, he then thought, well, <laughs> maybe it'll be Ishmael. And he had a son that was from his wife's maid, and it was not Ishmael. And then God told him, you will have a son, and it will be by your wife, Sarah. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, actually, let me take you to 19. It says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his body. Here he was, a 100 years old, and God's told him he's going to have a child. And he says, now as good as dead. His body was kind of withered and worn, probably. 100, I'm expecting mine to be. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he contemplated that. And yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Jesus was consistent. Same today, yesterday, today, and forever. That means when we get in that race, when we're going to accomplish what God wants us to, we stay with it. We stick with it. We don't stop. Be consistent. Run the race. And then finally, be a, a great finisher. I, I think that's the one thing I would say about Paul is he was consistent. But even more than that, he finished strong. You go back to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I fought that good fight. I, I was in the battle. I fought it. I finished the course. I ran the race. I've kept the faith. And he says, in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Boy, also to all those who love his appearing. Get in the race. Finish the course. If you're in a race, you're in a foot race with somebody, you want to finish the course. If you're in an automobile race, you want to finish the course. If you're going to school and you're taking a class, finish the course. If you got a project that's due, finish the project. How many of you have projects at home that are unfinished? Whoa, those hands went up really quick, didn't they? Finish the project. Finish the course. What haven't you finished? Why haven't you finished it? 
I, I like Chuck, Chuck Swindoll gave a statement. He says, don't let the I'm getting tired, so let's quit syndrome take your life over. So easy to get tired and quit. Uh, I remember as a boy, I was probably in the fifth grade, sixth grade. Neighbor kids were all a year or so older than me, two, three years older. My brothers were in high school, and they decided to have a foot race to see who could run the fastest in our neighborhood. And it was probably a quarter mile to the end of a gravel lane where we lived and a quarter mile back. At least it seemed like it's that far today. May not have been. But we all lined up, and my brother said, get on your marks, get set, go. And we took off, and those other guys took off, and I was running. Boy, I was running, but it seemed like I was dropping further and further and further behind. We got up there to the turn. They had already turned. They were on their way back, and I passed him, and I got to the turn, and I came back. And I got about halfway back, and they were already coming across the finish line. I was a skinny little kid. I sat down at the side of the road. And my brothers came out and said, what are you doing? I said, I can't win. They've already finished. I I don't need to go any further. And I can't forget this. It was so imprinted in my mind. They looked at me and they said, Andy, you never quit. It doesn't matter if you finish last. You do not quit. And it stuck with me. Paul says, I finished the course. I want to finish strong. I want to be a strong finisher. There's a story I want to lead you with as we get ready to close. The goal was not in sight. It was a fog-shrouded morning, July 4th, 1952, when the young woman named Florence Chadwick waded into the water off Catalina Island. She intended to swim the channel from the island to California coast. Long-distance swimming was not new to her. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. Oh, but the water was numbing cold that day. The fog was so thick you could hardly see the boats in her party. Several times sharks had had to be driven away with rifle fire. She swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim on since they were so close to land. But when Florence looked, all she could see was the fog. So she quit. She didn't finish. She was only a half mile from her goal. Later she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. It wasn't the cold. It wasn't fear or exhaustion that caused Florence Chadwick to fail. It was just just the fog. Many times we too fail because of the peer pressure or because of anything other than the fact that we lose sight of the goal. Maybe it's why Paul said, press towards a mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Two months after her failure, Florence Chadwick walked off the same beach into the same channel and swam the distance, setting a new speed record because she could see land. Paul said, run the race. Can you see the end? Can you see where you're going? Write something down. What do you want God to change in you? Make it a revolution. Don't make it a New Year's resolution. If it's to read the Bible every day, there are 
a number of spiral binders back there. One of our individuals brought them in. They were going through some things and found them. They're back on the table. Pick them up. Use them to keep up with your Bible reading every day. What are you reading in Genesis? What are you reading in Exodus? What do you learn about God? What do you learn about who he is and how he loves you? What do you learn about what he wants from you? What are the promises he has for you? Just write them down in there. Do you know at the end of the year, you look back, you're going to have an amazing notebook in terms of study of the word of God. Know your goal. Maybe an emotional issue. Get into a Bible study that deals with some of those things. Get into a Bible study that helps you in your growth. Know what you want to accomplish. Number two, make a plan. And that may mean that you call somebody else and say, would every week, would you hold me accountable? Would you, would you just check on me to make sure I'm fulfilling what I want to do? that I'm really reading the Bible, that I'm really studying it, that I'm really spending time in prayer, that I'm really spending time with my spouse, that I'm really taking my kids and doing something of value with them. And then get involved. Get into it. You know, I, I would say, maybe you'd say, Lord, I want to have a ministry this year. What ministry can you have for me? I'll tell you what. You can do things around your neighborhood. You can get involved in the church. You can get involved in some other Christian organization. You will find that there are places that you can fit in, and you will be used by God. We need um, two people that will be regular teachers in the nursery every week. They say, well, I do it every four weeks or every six weeks. No. Do you want to know something? When that little baby wakes up in the morning, they want to see mommy's face or daddy's face. When they come into Sunday school, they don't want a different person every week. And moms and dads want to know their kids are feeling comfortable and they're loved. And if you've got that same person, they see them week after week. It's not so hard going in the nursery. In fact, it's pretty easy. There are ministries here that, that can be filled uh, in, in every aspect of our church god gives us those things come and come and join me and learn about how to serve uh sign up back there and be part of that then get involved and then you know set a goal maybe it's not going to be out there i'll work in the nursery this year you don't have to say i'm going to be in there for life sometimes we don't want you in there for life but i'll work for a year I'll serve for a year. I'll be a greeter over there when the kids come in, and I'll have them signed in, and uh, I'll make sure that when somebody comes busting in, and, oh, I'm going to go see whoever. No, we're in class right now. You know, and we have somebody at the door. They're not bodyguards necessarily, but they're there to help minister. There's, There's a lot of things. But put out there how long and say, this is what I want to do. I think sometimes we ask people to do something and it's kind of expected they'll be there for life and they're not ready to be lifers yet. So uh, think of what you can do. Take one of those spiral binders back there and, and begin to write down on that first page the things that you want to see God do, maybe in just his first quarter, January, February, March, April, maybe up till Easter, and uh, make that a priority. And see what God does. Experience the changes and, and, and the dynamic that makes a difference in your life. I really challenge you to do that.
I think it'd be great. Next week, Corwin's going to be sharing, I think, from the Gospel of John, right? And right, and uh, then uh, then we're going to start looking at some of those parables. I'm excited about getting in there and studying those and and getting them. Uh, going to be a positive time. Um, any other ministries? There are some things going on. Uh, do you want guys to come and and get involved in your deal out there with uh, with the youth? That's for youth, kids. That's for kids, middle school, high school. They're kicking each other around out there. So, uh, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, maybe I just become a prayer warrior. Maybe I set it my goal to pray for people in the church or people that I know or people that have needs. Maybe, Father, you give me a job to, to go out to somebody that's homebound and help them with uh, maybe just sitting down and encouraging them and praying with them every week and spending time with them uh, Maybe it's making it so somebody that's there caring for a loved one can go out and, and have a break. You know, there's all kinds of things, Father, but help us to see the ministries you have for us. Help us to get to get the race down, and then, Father, help us to get involved and fulfill what you've got for us. Boy, I just look at 2019 being a great year, but it'll be just like 2018 if we don't get involved. And uh, I'm not just talking about involved serving here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship, though I'd love to see people step up for different areas of service, but just getting involved with you. Boy, just setting a, a goal to be involved with you, to know you better, to spend time in prayer and reading the word. Wow, how that can change our lives. Father, I pray for your blessing on each person in this church this morning and who attend here on a regular basis at other times, and those that are sporadic. It doesn't matter. But, Father, I, I just pray that you'd bless their lives. And might they truly experience the joy of the relationship with you. When the angels came, they said, Jesus came to bring peace on earth to all those with whom he was pleased. And I pray that we would experience your peace in 2019 in our lives and in our relationships. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.